I'm Mario Munoz reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service. This is a Meet the Candidate series podcast, a public service of the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service. Steve Taylor spoke to a Democratic candidate in the Congressional District 15 race, Michelle Vallejo. Jumping into the race, it's been so important to understand the different areas and different industry sectors and the different issues and policies that people are really passionate about. I really do approach um, business and, and everything I've done up until this point, and even running for Congress, as a way to connect with people. And I think it was, it's been because of where I grew up, at the flea market, at the Pulia. And that was the only way we could do our work, was by connecting with people, understanding the vendors, understanding um, who our buyers are. And also, um, I'm so proud that our flea market, um, more so before the pandemic, because now we haven't really had these customers so, so, so much. And it's um, our pulga is known as the pulga de los viejitos which is where um, a lot of the elderly folks in our community come and have a great time. And there's a lot of adult daycares in our communities. Um, and they will come to the Pulga as a field trip on a Thursday morning. And it's just, it's so fun. And it's just so um, approaching work in that way and, and approaching running for Congress in that way. It's, it gives so much back immediately that it keeps you fueled and powered up. Um, what has been also so exciting is bringing in folks who I've worked with um, on projects at Los Portales or also um, the Women's Entrepreneurship Conference that I co-founded um, based in San Antonio. Um, I've gotten to work with um, local artists on my branding. I've gotten to work with local videographers for our video. And in the nature of what it's been, it's just been so quick, right? And what I love is that our approach isn't just throwing things to the wall and see what sticks. Our approach is applying um, the approach that I've been using all along, that the pool has been using the past, especially the past few years, um, and even Hustle and Socialize, and also NLC, um, South Texas Frontera chapter, which I'm also a co-founder for. Um, and also Trucha, which I, I was a part of. I was a consultant for, for that organization the past year or so. Um, and a lot of my friends are in government. A lot of my friends are um, working in nonprofits or co-founders of, of nonprofits to where there's um, a certain limit to how involved they could be. Um, and that's been a little challenging because that isn't something I had in mind. I didn't, I wasn't strategizing my social network around running for office and, and, you know, placing my bets in, in that, in that bucket at all. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, that's the answer to how I'm, I'm doing. I, I think I'm, I'm doing well. And I think I'm, I'm just building on everything that I've been working on up until this point. Such a high percentage of our employee, of our workers that are employed in the, you know, by, by small businesses. So that really is something that you bring to the table as a candidate. That you understand small business, the the needs of the small business community, and that's something you're you would be happy to represent and uh, promote in Congress if elected. Absolutely. Um, one one policy issue that 
we've been um, prioritizing is raising the minimum wage. And that will definitely and directly affect um, and alter the business models of all our small businesses. Um, will they be able to cope? Well, that's a great question. And that is definitely what we need to be advocating for and putting light on when we're in Congress and, and you know, advocating for this um, federal agreement on increasing the minimum wage. But as a representative of District 15 of South Texas, I need to make sure that when we're making that decision, Congress is aware of the needs, the unique needs that South Texas has, and not group it with everyone else and say, this is what our small businesses need. Whether it's a sliding scale of how that policy will get enforced, or if it's additional training, or if it's additional resources to help owners and business um, entrepreneurs adjust their business models. and. <laughs> even maybe have some access to financial grants and some stipends um, in order to make it sustainable, right? I, I do think there's going to be a, a phase of transition until we, re we get there to where our community, our neighbors are making a livable wage. We had a, a forum with the Hispanic Women's Network of Texas and it was um, we had Republicans and Democrats in the room and it was the first time that I was really breaking it down on a public in a public space about how we could do this and I got really excited because my dad and I are facing those challenges right now but we're alone my dad and I are making those decisions on by ourselves and and I would love for there to be a committee. I would love for there to be a counselor. I would love for there to be support and guidance to, to help us create that structure, to, to help us create a schedule and to, to help um, give us some advice on how to communicate with our team. So when Lupe reached out to me and, and let me know that a lot of folks in their community and that had been, you know, following the We the Pueblo campaign, when they let me know that I was one of the selected nominees to be interviewed by the board, um, that's when I immediately got on the phone and told my dad, dad, my heart is set on doing this. This had already been like two or three conversations um, with him. The first one I told him, I don't know if I'm going to do this. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to help someone who's in the race. Um, and he, he said, he asked me why I was doubting myself, and um, he didn't even ask me. He told me, uh, Michelle, the community is trusting you to do this. They see you as a leader, as a representative, and and I want you to trust yourself to do the same thing. Um, and and since then, there's been no doubt, really. But when I knew that Lupe was going to have that time for me to speak to their board, um, that was like the first big step for me. I was like, okay, this is the first step into this journey other than just thinking about it and talking with my my close people my dad and my business partners and i realized that it was kind of voter suppression in action but what i did tell my dad on that phone call was so we are fighting for a 15 dollars minimum wage and right now at the flea market we are not paying our team 15 dollars an hour we kind of have like different agreements like some are contract agreements and it's just it's small businesses do things in unique ways. And so that's why a blanketed approach will not, will never be the solution, but we do need to have a standard. And um, what I told my dad was the policy or the platform that I was going to sign and definitely not negotiate about anything on. Cause I, I deeply agreed with everything that Lupe um, had put on their platform and it wasn't like a stretch at all for me. 
Um, and it fit. It fit like a glove. I was like, this is perfect. Um, <clears throat> and I told him, you're either going to fight with me or you're going to fight against me for raising the $15, um, dollars, um, the minimum wage to $15. He's like, absolutely. I'm going to be on your side. I'm going to be right next to you because we need to fight for something better because if we don't, we'll never get there. And I was like, absolutely. Thank you, dad. And since then we've, um, been discussing about, um, what our plan is. We've had one bump in, in our team's pay. Um, I think it's going to take one or two more for that, so that we could get there. Um, but immediately after that, that call the next day, I, I spoke with my team and I told them what we were thinking and I told them what I was going to do. I told them I was going to run for Congress. Um, and that's something that I really love about just, the, how, big, how big is the team? Um, how, the team is, um, immediately it's like four people, immediately. But then the extended team, that's more like 12 people. Um, and these are, these are even vendors that help us get the word out. Uh, I consider them part of the team. Because if we don't have the communication piece, is so vital. It's so, so important. And it's something that I saw um, very, very, like, magnified during COVID shutdowns, right? When, unfortunately, a lot of our, of our local governments didn't have the resources to get the word out in English and in Spanish to all pockets of the community. And, and at Los Portales, it's been so important to make sure that when we make a decision, our, our team leaders, in a sense, are, are our main um, voices for us in the community know what that message is and we're all on the same page and then it could get spread out to others. Um, and that's just like what we have to do as a campaign. You know, we have this main message and we have, you know, some leaders in place. Like I'm really excited. Um, Jackie Arias is joining our team to, to help run our field work and our volunteers. And I'm, I'm so excited that we're able to be in a position right now to put in people who have been doing amazing work in the community and for them to lead the way, in a sense, um, behind the mission of this campaign, which is to be uh, the people's advocate, to be an amplification platform for the voices. And it's not just to be the voice of the community. I don't think that it's important for us to be the voice. I think the voice, I think the community has a voice. I think that there are different voices and I think that we need to hear them. We shouldn't try to group everyone into like one kind of main talking point. I think the, the mission and the point is that we create a platform where we could see the diverse uh, perspectives and the diverse experiences that people have in the border in this region. It sounds as though if you were the member of Congress for District 15, you may just be able to bridge that gap and, and have a seat at the table for the business community and community groups. That's exactly what I want to, you know, that's what I want to do. We've been putting together some roundtables that are focused on different industry sectors and, and bringing folks who, who could speak on, on that community. Um, directly, and we just had one with the presidents of a few AFT chapters, and it was our education roundtable. Um, this week we have a healthcare roundtable, and I'm really excited because the people who we're bringing together, they're kind of connected in my, to my story in a sense, but they each have a different approach or, or, or segment in, in medical, um, in healthcare and the medical fields here in South Texas. Um, one of the doctors, um, she is the daughter of one of my mom's doctors. Um, and then another one of the doctors went to high school with me. 
Uh, and then another doctor that's joining us, he is the director of the um, women's hospital where my aunt and cousins are nurses at. So there's, it's just really sweet how there's connections. Um, and, and one's pediatric care, health and family care. And then another one is focusing on women's health. And the other one is more on like administrating hospitals. In terms of your policies on healthcare, tell us absolutely there. absolutely so um i think that people coming to the round tables are not necessarily signing on to um, endorse the campaign and um we want to keep the door open in the sense of like hey we want to have communication and we want to have a conversation with you and continue dialogue but that doesn't mean that you're signing up for anything here um, but I would appreciate the support, the vote, <laughs> um, engagement with the campaign, everything possible um, to support as we, you know, go for quince. And so I think that people are, if not open, receptive to the policies and um, Medicare for all is definitely one of our priorities. I am a, a progressive Democrat and that is vital um, to really being a progressive Democrat in a sense. We understand what happens when someone really close to us in our family gets really sick, right? We understand that the whole family uh, is affected by that and, and that priorities shift and there's urgent need. Um, and folks will organize fundraisers. Folks will organize ways that they could care for that person. Um, in my family, two people come up immediately. So I have an uncle in Houston and he is experiencing pancreatic cancer right now. And it came on so fast. And his daughter, my cousin, got engaged before he found out that he, before his diagnosis, he got diagnosed and his health started declining. And his daughter sped up her wedding so that she could make sure her dad was around and healthy and comfortable, um, to be able to, to be there. And, um, that it's just things like that. And the community understands that healthcare is not very accessible. Um, my experience with my mom's health journey really i didn't understand how tumultuous it was i didn't understand how challenging and difficult and hard it was um and how much my my family needed um during the time that she was sick and also after she passed and to this day i will still advocate for more needs for my family um because of the experience of my mom having passed um and because of the experience we had through her declining health. Um, and a lot of that has to do with like mental health resources. Um, I'm the one in my family that says, okay, let's sit down. We need to decide what kind of health counselor we should um, see together. And for a while, it was really scary for my family to even consider or start shopping for, or how do, how do you find someone um, who could help you with your anxiety when you've never even talked to someone or even your loved one that you're feeling all these things because you don't want to burden them, right? You don't want to be another issue. Um, and growing up as a, a daughter, right, a Mexican-American daughter in family business and with my mom being so sick, that was something that I recognized <coughs> I thought was a good thing to do, but actually no. And I think our whole community needs to understand that when we advocate for Medicare for all, it's not just changing this policy that seems so far away from us and so imaginary. It's changing the way that we believe and the culture that we have of 
what we deserve for ourselves. Going over to Mexico, while it has been a solution for a lot of families, right? It's a band-aid. It's a band-aid because we still have to leave our home. We, we still are solving the problem temporarily for ourselves, but the systemic issue is still there. And it's increasingly being, um, it's, it's increasingly worsening because putting together this health roundtable this week, I don't know how many doctors and people in the community my team had to reach out to um, because they couldn't, they couldn't be there because of how understaffed they are, how overworked they are, how exhausted, how hard it is for them to take, you know, 30 minutes or an hour to engage with the community to talk about the issues that their industry is facing, right? So how are you going to find the solutions if you don't even have a chance for these people who are facing the problems to have a conversation about it? Um, so it's, it's just like that, you know, it's like the policy, but understanding that the approach to those conversations, um, is the easier pathway. And, and I think that's why people have been, um, excited about the campaign and about me, uh, and myself as well. This is, it's just so fun. Yeah. The way they've drawn the lines, I mean, it's just an incredible district. You've probably been up and down it many times now. Tell us about it. What a grueling exercise it is to campaign. I haven't seen it that way yet. Okay. I haven't seen it as grueling. I've seen it as exciting. I think people are excited to do work that has results. I think people are exhausted of peddling, of doing things where um, they don't feel there's any return. So um, when it comes to the Democratic Party, I do think we have a challenge because voters feel like the way that they've been involved hasn't really had an effect. They show up to the polls, they vote for the people they're told to vote for, and, um, and, and then they don't see any return or any direct result to what they were told on the campaign trail, and that needs to stop. And so when I jump into conversations with folks, I have to be ready for that. I have to be ready to defend decisions and actions of other folks who have run in the Democratic Party. and. And, and be very, very direct about how we're different and about, you know, how we jumped in, why we jumped in and, and what we're doing now. Um, and once they hear a little bit and see a little bit, they, they, they trust us. Tell listeners and our readers how they can reach you, where, where they can go for more information. Okay, absolutely. We are on social media platforms. We're not on TikTok. Not yet. Maybe hopefully in the runoff. But we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And that's Michelle V for TX. And then also online, the website is Michelle for TX15.com. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for today's interview. Appreciate your time. And um, obviously, we'll see you on the campaign trail. That was a Democratic candidate for the Open Congressional District 15 race, Michelle Vallejo, speaking to Steve Taylor. Michelle Vallejo is running in the Democratic Party primary. This is one of the Meet the Candidate series podcasts, a public service of the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service. I'm Mario Munoz reporting.